The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. All right. Um, it, it is good to be here. Um, and, and I'm, I'm going to tell you why this is, this is exciting to me. Um, when I think about, I, I grew up, where I grew up, I, I was in two different worlds. I was in the black world and white world, and I'll explain that a little bit later. But growing up, I was in and out of churches with my white friends, right? And conversations of race, social justice, and things like that never, ever came up. And so when I, when I think about your church and other churches around the country, uh, predominantly white evangelical Christians leaning into conversations about race. I'm like, God is up to something. Um, you know, when I wrote the book, um, uh, it was a book I felt like God wanted me to write. And I said, you know, God, I feel like you want me to write this book. Um, I have no idea how people will receive it. Um, but I feel like you want me to write it. And it was always about it was always about a greater unity uh, as it relates to the body of Christ. Um, a couple passages I want to read, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to them, but there are a couple key passages uh, that kind of get at um, what, we, what, we're, what we're trying to do and what, uh, what I want to do as it relates to the book. The first is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 24 through 26. Um, and I'll start with this, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. So some of what I am talking about, some of what my hope is as it relates to the book, is this idea of suffering well. Suffering well. And, and what I mean by that is, um, there are times as an African-American Christian, as your brother in Christ, that I haven't felt like my white brothers and sisters have suffered well with me. Or the group that sovereignly God has placed me in, which is African-American. And so when we think about suffering well and, 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 and how to do that and, and what does that actually mean. The second passage is Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 says this, Open your mouth for the mute. Or for those who don't have a voice, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. And so there's a part, too, where uh, what, is, what is needed often, as it relates to you, is your voice. Is your, is your, is your voice uh, in arenas where... Someone else's voice is not heard. Um, and so keep those, those two things in mind. So I'm going to jump in and um, talk about uh, 
me a little bit. I actually want to answer your questions more than Before I. You, really, yeah. They want to know if you can move into the light. Okay. So, move into the light. Of course, I can not, move into the light. The Salt light. and light. There, there we go. go. There you go. Sounds like a song. All right. <laughs> All right. Let me say this as well. You are my brothers and sisters in Christ. Um. I would never take advantage of a situation in which your pastor and you, as my brothers and sisters in Christ, have trusted me to come. Um, I will not abuse you. I will not abuse you. Um, I will not take advantage of the situation. Um, Now, I may challenge you a little bit in love, um, but I will not abuse you. And uh, so, um, if, 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 if there was part of you that was a little, uh, you know, feeling a little tension and you weren't know what this is going to be, you know, is he going to come and he's going to blast us and he's going to say, those white people, let me tell you about yourselves. Tell you about, you know. <laughs> no, that's not what, uh, that's not what I'm about. Um, because I see God's hand in this. As I was saying before, this is, it's phenomenal to me. I really think there's a sort of awakening going on amongst evangelicals, predominantly white evangelicals. I've never seen anything like it. I get, I get emails from people in churches around the country that are leaning hard into this conversation. Um, some that say, hey, I don't know what I don't know. Uh, you know can you help? Let's talk. I want to lean and I want to know more. And I've never seen that before. So, yeah, are there things that are discouraging along the way? Absolutely. Um, uh, but as the Lord spoke to me, um, uh, and, and sometimes that are difficult, and sometimes that are still frustrating, um, he said, you know, Aaron, he who has an ear, let him hear. I'm sending to you those who are willing to hear. That's who I'm sending to you. Not everyone's going to hear. Everybody didn't hear Jesus, so why, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Why are they going to you know, hear me? And so that's, that's good, but you're here because your, your, your ears are willing to hear. So born and raised in St. Louis, I'm talk a little bit about St. Louis as a, as a segregated city. Uh, and I'm actually reading a book called The Color of Law that talks about kind of the intentional segregation of our country, the federal government, and, and different things that uh, were written in the laws and, and um, um, these, you know, these covenants that were in uh, housing covenants and contracts that, uh, that allowed cities uh, to become segregated, and it, and it was intentional. But St. Louis is a very segregated city. Um, and the interesting thing was uh, we moved from, uh, we moved out of the city in an urban area, a uh, minority area, uh, when I was a kid, and we moved into a white uh, working-class neighborhood, all white. Thank you, sir. And um, that was different. Um, it was, you know, in the mid to late 70s, so that was different. In the neighborhood we moved into, uh, to my knowledge, there, you know, we were the first blacks to move into that neighborhood. And so, um, and the, the neighbors weren't necessarily thrilled about us moving in. Um, so, so my family is like low-income black, right? So we weren't the polished blacks. We weren't like the Huxtables, right? So, so dad, you know... I mean, we, we was just like, you know, these black folks, right? You know, my dad, you know, he had an afro, and he liked to wash his car, and, and my, my, my dad had this, this kind of netted mesh wife-beater tank top that he used to wear when he washed his car. 
And he's playing like Earth, Wind, and Fire, you know, Casey and the Sunshine Band, you know, Gap Zap, you know, he's playing, you know, Commodores, you know, so he's, you know, so here he is, he's washing his car, like he's got his music playing. My two sisters running around in the front yard with their little Afro puffs, right, right? And I'm a little kid, little bitty body, big old head and big old Afro, right? And we running around, we got the fuck, you know, and our neighbors are like, what? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, we, didn't, we didn't know how to be polished, right? We would just, you know, you know, my dad was a city kid and, you know. And so, but, but what, what, I, what, I, what I recognized was um, there were these two worlds. The black world and the white world. So during the week, we would be in the suburbs. It's a white working class neighborhood that we'd moved into. But all of our family, they were in the city, in the urban areas, the poor part of town, East St. Louis, North St. Louis. And that's where our church was, in the city. And so I, I, I grew up as a kid seeing that things, I didn't understand, things were different. We'd drive to the city, and as you got closer to the city, houses are broken down, lots, you know, uh, litter, trash, violence, crime, failing schools. Um, uh, you know, it, it just seems like everything in the city, in the black part of town, was all broken down. Crime. So then we drive back out to the county, and it's just like parks are kept and different things. So as a kid, I'm trying to make sense of this. It seemed like white people had everything. It's like, I'm like, why is like all the stuff in the white people part of the neighborhood is good and all that stuff in the black people part of the neighborhood is bad? Like, well, you know. So systemically, I recognize that like, you know, something was wrong. I, you know, these two different worlds. Um, and here's some of the things that I, that, I, that, I, that I learned. So now, mind you, I was six years old. And so like this is, I'm like processing all of this as a, as a six-year-old kid, like trying to make sense of this, right? And so here's some of the things that, you know, like, you know, I, I learned, you know, like, you know, so like, um, you know, I felt like when I looked at the world that white had advantages over me as, 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 as black. I didn't want to be black. I knew enough. I was six, seven, eight years old. It, it, it didn't take me two or three years to realize that this is not the preferred housing, right, as it relates to this situation. I was like, this ain't preferred. I remember I, went, I came home one day from school. I told my mom, I said, I want to be white. And she was just like, why? I said, because. Hey, white's got everything. And so I could see, and, but I couldn't, I couldn't put my finger on it. I couldn't understand why it was like that. But I also, here's, 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 here's another thing. So I remember having the feeling of being isolated. We're out here in, in, in this neighborhood. But I also had this feeling, who's going to protect us? Who's going to protect us? That's a thought that I had as a kid. I just felt like, I felt, I felt like anything could happen to us. You know, my mom, you know, my, my, my mom, here's, here's my, now, so now my mom's from the South. Both of my parents from the South, but my dad had moved to Chicago. My mom was from the South, right? Uh, so my mom wouldn't let me spend the night over any of my white friend's house 
Oh, my mom was like, oh, no, 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 no. I said, Mama, can I spend a, a little boy named Robbie lived across the street. I said, Mama, can I spend a night over Robbie's house? She's like, oh, no, 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 uh-uh, no, no, no. She's like, uh uh-uh, you get over there. There ain't no telling what them white people do to you. And so she's like, you know, that, that was her context, right? And so mom's communicating to me that, you know, whites may not have the best intentions for you. But I'm also... As a kid, right, I'm taking in all these things, right? So Roots comes out. I mean, you've seen the Alex Haley's Roots comes out, right? And that was a big deal when it came out. I mean, it, was, it was on, you know, it, it, you know they, they aired. It was this TV miniseries. I mean, it was on for several days. So I'm processing this as a kid, and I'm seeing Roots, and they're talking about, you know, this is, you know, this is a, you know, historical fiction, but it's tied to Kunta Kinte, and it, it, he was related to Alex Haley and all this. But I'm watching this as a kid. This is the first time you hear about slavery, but you're seeing it reenacted. And I'm looking at this. And in my mind, I'm like, this, this actually happened? I'm like, who allowed this to happen? This is what my mind is thinking. Who allowed this to happen? So mind you, so this narrative is being built in my mind. Who, who allowed this to happen? So you have, so there's roots. And then, you know, you, you know, think in terms of, you know, like stories of lynching and, 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 and these type of things. So as a kid, I'm, all right, so I'm like, okay, so blacks aren't protected. Little kid, that's, that's the realization I came in. Blacks aren't protected. And so that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, who, who, who can, who's going to protect us, right? Um. And so all of that, all of that is, is there. Um, I, I, other thing that, that, that I learned is it's like, you know, that, that, that my voice, my, my, my voice didn't matter to whites. Like, like, you know, a white person could not believe me, right? And, 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 and what does that, and, you know, what does that mean if it's my word against someone who's white, you know, and I'm, we're going to the teacher, you know. And so all of these, all of these things, you know, you know, are, 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 are feeding, you know, my, my view of the world. Now, was it, was it the perfect view? No. But was there a lot of truth in that? Yeah. I remember the first time, and, 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 and by the way, I have the greatest appreciation for law enforcement. I do. I'm not a cop hater, you know. I am not. Um, but in some of my personal interactions, I'm challenged by that. Now, do I think all cops are bad? Absolutely not. Do I think we all, to some degree, are racially biased? Absolutely. I am racially biased. I am. I know that I have issues with white people. I do. I'm not proud of it. But guess what? If I can own it, then the Holy Spirit can help me deconstruct it. Right? So I know that I I I know that I have this issue. But I remember I remember the, the first time I was in the car with my dad, it was an interaction with, with a police officer, a white police officer, which was younger than my dad. And my my dad was was trying to uh, he was 
taking one of my little teammates home from practice. And so the kid was trying to tell my dad how to get to his house. Well, you know, my dad was trying to listen to him, and my dad actually passed the house, and then he kind of stopped, and the kid's like, well, no, it's there, it's over here. So my dad's like in the middle of the street, and he's kind of like halfway turned, and he's in the middle of the street, you know. And so he just does this U-turn. Cop pulls over. And I just remember, you know, the cop coming up, and he said, you know, he's just like, well, what are you doing? And, and, and my dad's like, well, you know, sir, I'm, I, I'm just you're trying to take this kid home. And he was just like, well, why are, you, why, are you, why, are you, why are you in the middle of the street like that? Why are you letting the kid? You're supposed to be the adult. Why? And I'm looking, listening to this, this man, this cop, talk to my dad like he's a little boy. And I just remember, like, I remember, like, wanting him to stop. I'm like, here's my dad, and this guy's just, you know. And, and, I'm, and, and so it's an attitude, like, who can, who can do something about? Who can do something about this? And so what you have to realize is this. You may see a situation where um, there's protests. So you can think of Ferguson or Baltimore, right? And you can look at that situation and kind of be uh, kind of transfixed on that situation there and go, I don't understand this anger. I don't understand what's going on. For most African Americans, whatever challenges that they have as it relates to racism, systemic racism, is lifelong, right? So for me, Michael Brown and Ferguson, it ain't just about that thing, like all of these things, right? Okay? All of these things are, 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 are tied together. And so, so as a kid, I, this, this is how, you know, I'm seeing the world. Here's another thing that um, I learned. I learned that whites probably won't defend you. I learned that. In my life, I learned that, that whites probably won't defend you. Even if they see that something is wrong that happens to you, they may not say that you did it, but they may not say anything. As Dr. King said, It's it, what we will remember is not kind of the, the, the evil or violence of our enemies. It's the silence of our friends. But as a kid, I didn't have confidence that whites would stick up. Now, here's an interesting thing. On our street, so the kids would tease us. We lived at the end of the street, and sometimes we dreaded it because you had to walk all the way down the street, and so oh, my kids would tease us and different things, and, you know, uh, they were not nice, you know. First time I was called the N-word, I didn't even know what it was. Well, my own calling us this, you know. Um, I mean, they were, you know, they were very creative. You know, I was like, I didn't jigaboo, spook, coon. I'm like, what is that? You know, I mean, they called us. But anyway, so we'd have to go all the way down the street to get to our house. And um, I used to dread it because you didn't know who was going to come out of the house to say things, and now, there's this little white woman named Linda. I found out later that Linda was actually a lesbian. Right? We find out later. It's like, Mom, how come her husband moved out and another lady moved in? My mom was just like, they're just friends, you know. So like, you know. But guess what? And maybe because she was an outcast in the neighborhood, you know. And I'm not excusing, I'm not, I'm not excusing, I'm not excusing her sin. But guess what? Linda would defend us. 
So Linda would be on her steps and the kids would be given up. And Linda would say, little bitty, little bitty lady, blonde-haired, blue eyes. She, she wasn't 90 pounds soaking wet. And she'd be on her porch smoking a cigarette. She'd say, hey, you leave them kids alone. They got every right to be here in this neighborhood like you do. And we're like, yay. You know. And Linda was helping to defend us. But I didn't have confidence uh, that whites would. And here's the other thing. And, and, and this is what I think is the fundamental issue that America is, is, is continuing to deal with, and it's in our DNA, and it's hard for America to, uh, to um, admit this. This is the other thing I learned. Violence can happen to blacks, and no one has to answer for it. That's what I saw. I didn't see the other. Now, do blacks commit crimes? Absolutely, yes, they do. So does everybody. But violence could happen. This is my reason. Violence could happen, and no one necessarily has to answer for it. I remember... And again, so mind you, like all of this stuff's like being stacked up in my mind, you know. And I am, I'm working, I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to fight against it, you know. I'm a Christian, you know, my mom, you, you know, it, I was in Christian circles. Um, but I remember like even in like 91, like Rodney King, and it was, you know, they, they video this. And I remember like watching this in horror, you know. They pulled Rodney King over. Yeah, he was inebriated. He was drunk. They should have pulled him over, right? Should have got, you know, whatever DWI and taken to jail. But you have this video of these, 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 these five police officers. Oh, so bad. Even today, I can't hardly watch it. So they're beating him. But some motorist had a camcorder. Remember those camcorders? You know, them big old things, you know. Like we have the phones now, the big old Somehow they were. So someone videos this, right? It's 91. And these cops are just, I mean, they just don't stop. They're beating five of them, beating, kicking, they're beating this guy down. Not a threat, it's not pulling anything on them. And so you use this video, and that day it went viral on the news. You didn't go viral. And so you're looking at this, and as a black American, you're like, this stuff, yes, this stuff happens. It, see, this happens. Oh, surely. Surely, this stuff happens. And I remember the sunken feeling when they were like, all quitted. I just remember going, I just knew. I, I wanted to be hopeful. I wanted to believe in America. I did. I wanted to believe in the American justice system. I did. But when they said that, I was like, oh. And it just continued to confirm this narrative. And so, so, so imagine my struggles when we got Trayvon Martin. Imagine my struggles when we got Tamir Rice. Imagine my struggles when we got Eric Garner. Imagine my struggles when we got uh, Walter Scott. Imagine my struggles when we got Michael Brown. Now, not to say that there aren't questions about, you know, but here's the fundamental problem. And I really do think this is, is a fundamental problem in America. And it goes back, and I think it's in our DNA, and, and especially as Christian people, we got, we got to look at this one, Right? Here's the fundamental problem. There is a disregard 
there always has been in America, it started with the inception of our country, there is a disregard for African-American life. Can you convince me otherwise? Could you even try? From the beginning of our inception as a nation, that black life is not weighed in the same way that white life and other life is. You might got Hispanics behind them and maybe the poor, but, but this is, think about it. Whatever the justification is, they're thugs, they're criminal, you know. Every, every age there's a different justification. Why? But it's not viewed the same way. I think that's the, that's the fundamental problem. And, it, and, it, and it's in our DNA. How do you, how do you, get, how do you just get rid of that with a, with a, with, 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 with a couple le- legislative laws, Civil Rights Act, Voting Rights Act? How do you just get, get rid of that? Here's a great example of, 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 of um, what I'm talking about. So, and, and a lot of it's unconscious. Right? But when we think in terms of the media, when we think in terms of the media, and I'm going to... I'm going to wind things down so you can ask questions. Uh, when you think in terms of the media, um, the portrayal of African-American men as it relates to criminal behavior. Again, do African-American men commit crimes? Yes. But there's a certain profile that the media likes to uh, really exploit, and that's 18 to 24 African-American male, thug, pan, sagging, you know. Which is, which is a very, very small percent of, of African Americans. But here's the thing. So the stigma, the stigma of criminality is attached to African American males in a way that it's not for any other group. So let's think about this, right? So let's think about... Um, and I was talking to some students. I teach a class at Westminster called Race and Culture. And we were talking about um, criminal behavior and different things. And, you know, I get this, you know, I get questions about black and black crime. And, and we talk through that. And, and so I, one of the students was asking me about that. And we talked to it. And I said, I said let, me, let me talk to you about the stigma of criminality that, that is attached to African Americans in a way that it's not for whites. I said, I want you to think of every mass shooting you can think of, or mass bombing in America. So think of everyone. Whether it's Timothy McVeigh, Ted Kostinsky, whether it's Columbine, whether it's his, and, you know. I said, I want, you to, I, want you to, I want you to think, right? Those horrific things. And I said, now what color was most of those who committed those horrible acts? I said, they were white. So now we're all fallen, okay? I'll get to that. It's like we're all fallen. I said, but, but here's the thing. The stigma of criminality doesn't attach itself to whites. I'll give you a greater example. And this, this is mind-boggling because it's unconscious. So remember the young man who, who sat through a Bible study in South Carolina. And then pulled out a gun and he kills eight African-Americans in this church. The policemen come and get him. They put a bulletproof vest on him 
to walk him out of the church. Now, I would like to argue that that type of thought wouldn't have been there for an African-American that they were walking out of the church. Not only did they walk him out with a bulletproof vest. Why? Because they didn't want someone to do harm to him. But on the way to the jail, he was hungry and they got him something to eat. Now, the officers, here's the thing, they didn't even think about it. But it's part of, that's, that's, as a nation, you know, you know that's, that's in us. I'm sorry, I'm all over, I'm all over place. I don't even remember where I meant to go. All right, so let me, um, let me, jump, let me, let me jump to my book. Um, so two things that, that really, um, two conversations that really led me to the book, and I'm going to get to that. And I want you to ask all the questions. I am that guy. I am, you know, it's like, man, you know, you're waiting for an opportunity for the, for the, for the safe guy. I am the safe black guy. You can ask me anything, right? I am there because this is, this is calling for me. This is calling for me, and I'm, I'm delighted to be here. Um, so, so get your questions ready. Don't be shy, you know. Um, I've, I've heard a lot of questions. So, so, so with my book, um, there were two conversations that let me know that I needed to, to, to write this book. And uh, the first conversation was in the midst of uh, the Ferguson Riot. So Michael Brown, I believe it was August 9th, so Michael Brown um, shot and killed on Saturday. Sunday, you know, now mind you, I, you know, <laughs> I, I went to Ferguson Florissant Schools. Uh, I was a youth pastor at, at a church right on the border of Delwood and Ferguson, Canfield Green, where Michael Brown was shot. We had youth that, that were in Canfield Green. So, so like all of this is just like uber, I'm like uber sensitive, tied in. I taught Ferguson Florissant School District. We stopped at Ferguson. All of that was familiar with. That's the stomach. So, so, I mean, it's just like uber, like emotional for me. And at the same time, I got a 15-year-old son who's getting taller. He's dark like me. And I know that the world is going to perceive him differently, you know, than others. So anyway, so Michael Brown, Saturday, Sunday, people start to gather, you know, then this, <laughs> we start getting the protests, right? Monday, you know, it, you know, you know it, 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 it goes bad. You know, there's good protests, but then there's people looting and stuff. And I'm watching, I'm watching all of this, and I probably watch too much, and we get to Wednesday. Now, mind you, as I told you before, that whole situation is tapping on wounds of the past for me. It's tapping on these wounds. It's tapping on feeling unprotected as a kid. It's tapping on, you know, um, my life is not as important. Something can happen to me, and, 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 and no one can care. So by Wednesday, I, I probably just watched too much, and I was just so involved and uh, kids had gone upstairs, and my wife and I are sitting on the couch, and I just start sobbing. And then I started, then I started raising my voice. And I say, they don't even need to have a trial. I already know how this ends. I know how this ends. And I just start saying, I know how this ends. And my wife is trying to console me. She's trying to, she's like, baby, please, baby, you're going to wake the kids up. I was just like, I know how this ends. I know how this ends. There is, I know how this ends. I've seen this before. Not this, but I've seen this before. And I'm just bawling and weeping. My wife's trying to console me and I'm thinking about my son. And I'm like, Lord, what hope do I have? You know, 
And at that time, I get a text from my pastor. Now, I'm an elder, and I'm the only black elder. I think there's two African-American families in our, in our church. Um, I get a text from my pastor right in that moment. And now, mind you, okay, will you, will you allow me to be a little vulnerable? Will you allow me to be honest with you? All right. Okay, so um, you are seeing the PC version of Aaron, right? This is the PC version of Aaron. This is the Aaron that is more palatable to... So because the other thing that I learned, I learned that it is more, I am more accepted by whites if I, rem, if I don't remind them that I'm black and I remind them that I'm just like them. So when I change the inflection of my voice... Because I know that that, so I, that I'm a safe black man, right? Oh, I, you learned, you, when your survival depends on it, you learn quickly, right? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Right? I don't talk in slang. When I address my, my, my head of school, who's white, yeah. now when I had a black head of school, I was like, what's good, Mr. Rogers? How's it shaking, baby? What's good? You know, right? But I don't, you know, but I, but I, but I so anyway, my, my pastor texts me, and um, he asked me, he's like, are you coming to elder prayer in the morning? And I'm going to be, and this is where I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't want to talk to no white people. Uh-uh. Because I'm like, you know what? You don't get this. You don't get this. So pastor, as much as I love you, I served you two years, you don't get this. That's one of the reasons I would, you don't get this. So I'm like, so I'm like, what is he texting me for, man? I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know, because I didn't crossed over. So the PC Aaron is going out the door, you know. And now, you know, you're like the, the fear of the angry black man. Yes, he has showed up. Angry black man is there. Pastor texts me, you come in the morning prayer. I text him back. I don't know. He says, well, if you do, if you, if you do um, could you give us a different perspective on Ferguson? I text him back. I said, Pastor, I said, I'm in a bad way. I said, you never see me like this, Pastor. I'm in a bad way. And I said, you might not want to see me no more morning. He says, I understand, but if you do come, could you help us? My wife's like, who is that? I'm like, this pastor. And I was just like, she's like, what does he want? I was like, you want me to come to the elder prayer tomorrow and tell them? I'm like, oh, I, ain't. I was like, man, I ain't telling him nothing. I ain't telling him nothing. I ain't, I ain't, I'm not going. So my wife, being the wise woman, Proverbs 31 woman that she is, she waits, lets me cool down, and about 45 minutes later says, you know, maybe God wants you to go. I was like, no, that's the devil. <laughs> it's the devil talking. So, and then she just walks up, walks upstairs, and the Lord's working on me. And um, I said, Lord, I don't want to have this conversation with them. Next morning, I get up. The Lord wants me to go. I come in. All the elders are there. There's six elders. Pastor. And I said, Pastor, I said, you used to the PC version of Aaron. And I said, I ain't got that right now. All you got is this is. I said, Pastor, I don't even know how you, I don't, I don't even know what you, what you want me to do. He said, I just want you to be honest. I said, Pastor, you want me to be honest? Now, mind you, I'm angry. I'm going to let it all blow out. I'm going to let, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to, I said, I said, Pastor, I said, 
you want me to be honest? And he said, I just, yeah, I want you to be honest. I said, okay, pastor. Okay. I said, this is how I'm going to start, pastor. I'm going to start just like this. I said, pastor, all of you elders right here, I said, you were probably raised and told when you were coming up in the neighborhood, whatever neighborhood you're part of, that the police were your friends. They were there to protect you. I said, pastor, that's not the reality that I've experienced. And it's not the reality I got to prepare my son for. So this is the fourth doggone conversation I got to have with my son about what he has to do in order to come home, pastor, and you'll never have it, your son. I said, and that sucks. That sucks. And I said, you know what else, pastor? I said, you know what else? I said, so check this out. I said, why is it that you could turn on CNN right now, you could see civil unrest in the Middle East, and you get it. You understand that the people are protesting, rioting against, you know, uh, against an evil regime. You get that. Why is it that you turn on and you look at these black people in Ferguson, and all of a sudden you don't get it? It's the same thing, pastor. It's the same thing. I said, but the problem is you don't see the American legal system or police. You don't see the possibility that they might be falling too, even though that's what your theology says. I said, pastor, you know what? You, you, you know what the poor black people in Ferguson realize? I said, pastor, they know more than you guys know. They know that nobody has to listen to them. They know that nobody has to care. They don't have political power. They don't have influence. I kind of went on and on and was tearful and things. But what I recognized was, this is tied back to the book, is in that moment, I'd served with these men for two years, and I said, why am I feeling this distance? Why am I feeling this distance? The first chapter is called The Divide. Why am I feeling this divide? Why do they seem like strangers? My pastor seemed like a stranger to me. I wanted to say, dude, you don't know me. I'm out of here. I had my elder. I was ready to, I was ready to, I was wanting somebody to say something so I could just say, you know what? I'm done. I'm taking my black family. I am done. We're done in here. I I had my elder badge and everything in my hand. (laughs) My pastor just, bless his heart, he, he just started weeping. He just started weeping. He just started weeping. But I, I said, Lord, something's, where is this distance coming from? And I realized in that moment that I'd served with these men for two years and they didn't know the experiences of a black man in America, even though it was one that they was in fellowship. They had been over, I've been over their houses. We did life together. We prayed together. But they were ignorant of those experiences. And so there was distance. Because guess what? There wasn't that same type of distance with my, with my black Christian friends. It was like, man, you know, right? Oh, brother, you know how it go down. That's how it always go down. Yeah, you know, that's how it is. And that's how it's going to be. You know, they ain't going to say nothing. You know, they're going to stick together. So with my black Christian friends, that, that conversation, we would have that conversation. I didn't talk to my white Christian friends about this stuff. But I realized, I said, there is a distance there. And I said, Lord, how in the world is there going to be unity if we can have a, a, a situation, a racial situation hit our nation and, you know, it's going to polarize us. Unless we do something about it, we can, we can talk through this, right? 
So that was the first conversation. The other uh, conversation was, was with a uh, uh, guy that I work with. <clears throat> and so this was kind of after, you know, I kind of worked out stuff with, with pastor, but I'm still kind of angry. I'm coming to work every day, and it's like radio silence. None of my white colleagues are asking me anything about Ferguson, you know, um, and I'm getting angry and angry. I'm like, I, don't, I, I didn't know how to interpret the silence, right? And the devil is in my ear. How many of you know that the devil does speak to you? Yeah, everybody better raise their hand because the devil speaks to me. And he tells me to do stuff and say stuff that's not good. And, I'm, and he's tempted by me all the time. Jesus talks about the devil. The Bible talks about the devil. The devil is real. He hasn't gone anywhere yet. Jesus is going to deal with him, right? All right. Don't lock him up. But so I'm getting angry because I'm like, what, what is the silence about? And so one of my white friends, Scott Holly who for years we had been in dialogue. Now, Scott and I, we would have those conversations. And one of the reasons that Scott and I have those conversations is because Scott approached me and began to ask me questions. So I had that relationship with Scott. And I asked Scott one day, I said, Scott, I said, I got to ask you a question. I said, because I don't understand something. And I said, I said, Scott, do, I, said, do, do, I said, do white Christians in our, our, our church, our school, I'm sorry, is located in a primarily white, upscale, affluent neighborhood? Um, and so I said, Scott, I said, do, do white Christians in West County, I said, do they care about what's happening in Ferguson? I said, because I don't know how to interpret this silence. And this is what he said to me. He's kind of, he's a comical guy, so he goes, well, I'll tell you. He goes, I'm as white as they come. <laughs> he goes, I'm the poster boy for white privilege. He goes, he goes but here's the deal. He said we, we, he said, we don't understand it. We don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. He said, but we do care, and we do want to talk about the conversation. And when he said that, I hadn't thought about that. That's not the options that the devil gave me. The devil's like, they don't care. They don't care. So when he said that, I said, if that's the case, I said, we can, we can fix that. We can do something about that. We can be more intentional in our dialogue. And so um, the book was about how to close that emotional gap that happens between black and white Christians when the topic of race comes out. How do we close that? We talk about it, not only just generally speaking, but specifically like we're doing now. Now, I already feel closer to you because I've shared that. Right? I already feel closer to you. Okay? And so that was the book about, so in writing the book, um, the interesting thing is, I felt like God wanted me to write it. I had no idea how the book was going to do, but I really felt like God, and so... It's really kind of taken me by surprise. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's doing well. Um, uh, I think the last count, it was like maybe 1,300 copies since June. Um, I don't really have a paradigm for like how, you know, but our public, my publisher's like, yeah, that's good, that's good. But, so I'm, I'm humbled by that, and, and I'm humbled by even, you know, you leaning into conversations and, and, and reading the book. So, all right, so I'm, I'm going to stop talking. I'm sorry that I kind of droned on a little longer. 
Uh, but hopefully it was helpful. And, and again, and again, I, you know, um, I, I know this can be hard. I, you know, I, I, I promise I don't mean to intentionally be offensive. But this, I am respecting you. Let me, let me tell you how I'm respecting you. The, the best way for me to respect your time, because I'm not going to waste your time, is to be honest with you. You didn't come here for me to tell you, you know, that, you know, everything's great and it's all good and, you know, buy my book and ha-ha, we'll all sing Kumbaya and everything's good. You know, the, the, the best way for me to, to honor you and honor the fact that you come out is to be honest with you. Right? And that's, and that's all I'm trying to do. All right, so we're going to open it up for questions. You can ask me whatever questions. It really is good to, to, to be here with you. Yes, sir. So I've got Asperger's, so yeah. I'm not real sensitive. Can you, yeah. I would hope that you write your book, another version of yeah. what he calls. Can you maybe put in there or share what it is you learned from your father about why he moved you to that white neighborhood? Yeah. <laughs> and how he was able to accomplish that. Yeah. Yeah. What your parents, what your dad added to you in, in order to give you the life that you had. Yeah. I th- yeah. Can you repeat the question so it's in the recording? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I, think, I, think, I think what I heard you say is um, uh, what, how was my dad um, able to, to move us out and, and what was. Why did he. Why did. Okay. Why did. Yes, and I can, yes, and me and my dad had to say, why, okay, so why did our dad move us out of the city, and how was he able to? Uh, the reason my dad moved us out, he said the conditions were so bad, and he thought about us as kids, and he also thought about the school district we were in at that time, and he said, if, I want my kids to be in a good school district, and so um, he, 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 he just made a, made a movie, made it happen, did extra work or, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, he, you know, years later I asked him that and he said, I, you know, I just, I had to get you guys out of there. Um, and so he, he did it. I think it was God's providence too, because I, you know, um, my, my dad can, you know, as, as I can, can procrastinate things. I just think it's ironic that this was a thing where he, he said, I'm going to move them out. Yeah. Yeah, here's an interesting thing that you say that. Um, so this is what happened. I don't know if you know much about St. Louis, but um, there's a documentary on YouTube. It's called Pruitt-Igle, the Pruitt-Igle Myth, and it's about this huge housing complex that they put up in St. Louis. Phenomenal story. So what they were trying to do is provide low-income housing in St. Louis for, you know, minorities. And, and to make a long story short, it was a colossal failure. Okay, but by the time it was a failure and the funding had run out, I mean, it had given rise to crime, prostitution. You know, it was like, you know, it was like on good times, good times in my life. So, so what happened was um, they're going to tear those down, and so they're funneling, the, the city's going to funnel, okay, those blacks to a different part of town. And so when my dad went to the real estate agent, my dad was actually looking for another place in the city. And so the, the, the real estate agent said, Oh, well, why don't you move out to this particular area? Now, now, mind you, that area was an area that they had already decided they were going to funnel blacks out there. Yeah. 
And so he said, why don't you move out here? And my dad was like, there's no, there's no, there's no black people out here. He said, no. He said, but in about 25 years, he said, most of that area will be black. And my dad said, how do you know that? He said, because they're tearing those housing projects down and they're funneling all of the blacks, all of those minorities out towards, out, out into this area, North City, North County. And, uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to give you guys a mic uh, so everybody can hear. So Great just question. Raise, just raise you. your hand. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, Aaron. Thanks hey. for coming. No problem. Um, one point I want to make, I really appreciated the, what your right, white friend advice was. And, you know, oftentimes these conversations go that there's two camps. One uh, part that or, or one group of people that get it, yeah. they understand, et cetera, yeah. and then the other group that don't get it. Yeah. And I think what your friend was saying is yeah. there's a lot in the middle yeah. of people trying to get it, et cetera. So I think I'd like to put myself in that category. Mm -hmm. So let me tell you my emotions relative to Ferguson, and then ultimately I want to get your opinion on does Ferguson help yeah. or hurt? Because from my perspective, I saw the same news report you did. And I probably wasn't with the lenses that in my glasses didn't have the exact same feelings, but I wasn't real happy either. Yeah. How could a, you know, this white officer be that racist and yeah. that terrible, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, then all of a sudden, and by the way, the politicalization of this goes on, no matter which channel yeah. you turn on. And then I see a videotape of him going into a convenience store and bullying. He's twice the guy's size and pushing him down, taking whatever he wants and going out of the store. Mm -hmm still didn't uh, make me that much less angry because that's, you don't shoot a guy for that. Mm -hmm. You arrest him and yeah. do what you got to do. Then I hear these stories about hands up, don't shoot, yeah. and you know he's the victim and yeah. all the rest. And then weeks, months later, after all this damage had been done to the city, and what do I find out that the hands up, don't shoot was discredited, my understanding yeah. disproven completely. Yeah. The person who indicated that recanted and ultimately said I was lying. Yeah. Um, the facts come out and the forensics would suggest that Michael Brown attacked the police officer mm -hmm. and had the police officer not defended himself, he'd have been the one that was dead. Mm -hmm. And now fast forward a couple years and I see a guy who's passionate about what he believes in yeah. And I would restate what your friend said. How can I help? Now I'm even yeah. more upset than I was before the thing even yeah. started. And I think that there's a lot of us in this camp. We yeah. want to help. We, we want to get to know. We want to understand. Yeah. But I'm just curious why you feel compelled to use that particular situation yeah. when there's so many better ones that yeah. make your case. Yeah. Now, I know you're coming from a point of experience, and you're saying this is how you felt because of what you had experienced, so you yeah. jumped to certain conclusions too, yeah. just like I did. You yeah. went further than me, it sounds like. But yeah. Yeah. So some, the Ferguson thing, for me, actually put us back 10 years mm -hmm. because it makes the case for those people that are talking about all people talk about are victimhood and all yeah. the, they're victims of this, victims of that, and to what degree do they take responsibility for their own yeah. actions? And I don't hear any of that. Yeah. It, in your story, I don't hear the punchline, I yeah. guess. So. Well, here, and I will answer that. And if you, if, you, if, you, if you pay attention to what I say in the book, 
about Michael Brown, and even if you, you pay attention to what I said, um, you will, you will, you will, you didn't hear me say um, that what Officer Wilson did was not legal. I, I am the first to admit this. The way that Officer Wilson was trained, the protocol that he had been trained under, he did every thing that he was trained to do. Now, do I, now where my questions come, so, so I, I, have no, I have no problem with it, because that's what he's trained to do. Now, do I have questions about, you know, police protocol? Yeah, you know. Um, uh, do I think that, that Michael Brown was, was innocent? Is he a saint? No. I feel like he should be held to the law because I do believe in the law. Um, and so even in my book, it wasn't about, you know, exonerating. And I'm not in that camp of, of believing all of the stories because a lot of those stories were false. But I think that there's, a, I think there's enough to, to ask questions like, so here are the questions that, and we even had a white police officer come to our class and talk to our, our, our students. And here's what I asked him. Uh, I said, first of all, I said, Michael Brown is made in the image and likeness of God. So for us believers, we start there. Do we not? We start there, right? Okay. And we got to start there. And we got to start there in the same place that we do with everyone else, right? And so my question to him was, I said, he operated within protocol, but I asked him, I said, as a police officer, I said, um, were there other options that he had? And he said, yeah, there were other other options, you know. And so then my other question was, you know, had, you know, and, and we, don't, we don't know this, but another question that I had is, you know, I wonder um, the threat level that Darren Wilson had um, how much of that was tied to the perception of fear based upon him being, you know, an African-American? Or how much was it in six foot six and 300 pounds? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and so, and so even because I had a kid ask me about it when I, when I said it was a, it was a tragedy. I'm, it was a tragedy on a couple different levels. But here's the other thing, again, to my point about the disregard for black life. So, so Michael Brown's body, whatever you think about him, lays in that street in front of his mom, his family, his community, for four hours. So those are just things that I think about that I'm like, I, I, I question whether if that, was a, if that was a white young man that had been shot. Now, you could say, you know, yeah, it could have went down the same way, but based upon the things I see, I, I really do think that, that, that life is really different. Now, I'm not for the hands up to shoot, and even the, even the, even the black lives don't matter. In premise... I understand what they mean, but what, 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 what all of they, what they embrace, all, all of what they embrace, and what others who have kind of hijacked it and made it their own, I, I don't. I think you've got to pull those things apart, you know. But, but are you doing that? Am I doing what? Well, yeah. You have a forum. Yes. You have a voice. Yes. Here you have these people tonight. Uh-huh that are listening to you, yeah. and I'm assuming you have other opportunities like this. Absolutely. Are you saying that, too, oh, in absolutely. addition to what oh. we're saying here? Because I don't, the, the body laying 
outside. Could that have been because they were investigating? They didn't want to move anything. Sure. They knew this, and so sure. They, yeah. I, I don't know. And you know the what? The point is, but at the end of the day, this happened because somebody committed a crime, and then they went after a police officer. Now yeah. you can—that's yeah. a good point as to. Yeah. But here's none of what us were there. I'm. I'm absolutely. I mean, you're right. I do this, and so I. When people ask me that, I absolutely. I try. I. I, I try to look at both sides. I do. I do. And so I am not, I am not defending, I'm not defending, you know, what Michael Brown did in the store and different things. I think whatever the laws, you know, should be, I'm not even, I'm not even hating on Darren Wilson because he did what he's, you know. So my, my question is, 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 a, is a bigger, larger, more general question. Because the other thing that I would say is the Department of Justice, and I tell people this when I was on the radio in St. Louis, and a lady called in, and she was just like, "Wow, we're glorifying this." I said, "We're not glorifying." I said, "The the the um, Department of Justice came in, and they reviewed all the evidence, and they said that in their findings, Darren Wilson did anything wrong." I'm good with that. I don't have a problem with that. But then the Department of Justice also came in, and did an investigation on the Ferguson Police Department. And saw that there was corruption and bias and everything. And so all those people that, you know, so, so again, it wasn't just for Michael Brown. It is, so, so if we're going to talk about the Department of Justice coming in, so for those who are arguing the Department of Justice came in and they exonerated Darren Wilson, they also need to say the Department of Justice came in and they saw the city of Ferguson, you know, who had been doing this for years, you know. So now we understand why they reacted the way that they, way that they did. And yep. we understand why certain people may have overreacted to this because oh, it was easy for, easy for them to believe the worst based on their experience. Oh, I agree. But this particular situation yeah. maybe wasn't the situation. Oh, I agree. Or the best example that we thought of. Yeah. And there's others. And I. Yeah, I think my the, only point is big picture wise. Yeah, I think yeah. the I think the Tamir Rice. I think that yeah. So if people ask me, I don't think that every shooting of of a white officer black. I don't think everyone is is is. I think some of them are justified. I think the Michael Brown one was justified. I do. Based upon them, I do think it's justified. The Tamir Rice one, the Eric Garner. I, you I know. agree with you 100%. Yeah. I, my question was, yeah. why are you using that specific example? That's all. Yeah. The, reason I, the reason I use that specific example is because, first of all, that, was, that ignited something in St. Louis and Ferguson and around, and around the country. You know? and, and I will say this too. It was bigger than Michael Brown. It was bigger than Michael Brown. Yeah. Good question. Thank you. Can I just add, yeah. in, in your book, if you guys haven't read the book, he goes a lot deeper in a lot of yeah. these things, but one of the things that you commented in there is when we see things like this, to not just say that's racism, racism but to ask the question, yeah. could there be racism yeah. there? Yes. Um, and not just automatically yes. assume it. And so I appreciate that you articula yeah. articulated that yeah. in the book. Yeah. Had I been one of your coworkers, I'd have been one of those guys sitting back. What do I say? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the question is, how do, how do you engage? How do you start that without seeing trite, yeah. contrite, uh, condescending, yeah. Yeah. or you know, discounting your experience? Yeah. So where Great. does it start? How do you approach yeah. that? Assuming I've, I've known you for a while, yeah. you know, how, what would have been the correct way to come up? Hey, Aaron. Here's a, I'll give you a great example. And I'm going to take it out of, give us a breather from race for a second. I'm going to take it out of race, and I'm going to take it to gender. So, and I'm sharing with Pastor Dan about this. I can't remember if I was talking to you about it or, or, or Ted. Um, but the, but uh, a couple weeks ago, I really was so anxious to hear what my wife, my, well, not my wife, my female colleagues at work thought about the hashtag MeToo movement. 
And so I went to one of them and I said, you know, Claire, you know, I said, Claire, I said, you know, I, I said, I hope, you know, you're not bothered by this question. I said, but I am very curious. What do you think about the hashtag to me too movement? And she was very happy to answer. And so that, you know, that's, you know, that, you know, so if there's something that comes up and it could be even something to pass where if you have an African-American person who's in your church or a coworker say, hey, you know, I, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't want to be offensive, but I, I'm curious. I want to know what do you think? Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a great, you know. Most of the African-Americans I know would be, would be happy to, to, to answer that, you know, or even say, you know what, do you mind if we sit down and, and talk? I just got some, some questions, you know, and I, and I love that, you know, I love that. So that's a practical way. So can I ask you about, you know, this, you know. Now, here's the, here's the important thing, too. If you're going to do that, all right, you've got to have the right posture, okay? You can't have the posture of I'm going, I want to defend or I want to argue. The goal should be, if you're going to do that, the goal should be to learn. When I went to talk to Claire, my goal was education. Educate me on what women are thinking about this, what Christian women are thinking about it. I'm not going to say, do you really think that happens? Come on now, Claire, not here. No, 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 no. Your goal is education, okay? It's education, you know. Um, and so you ask that question so that you, so that you, you, you might you know, be able to learn from what they, what they have to say. Yeah. This is good, by the way. I good. would just add to that. Sorry, I know this is your thing, not no, mine. But you're the pastor. Uh, but I think for the black church the book, pastors get I, to say whatever they I want. I think <laughs> the biggest things I took away from the from the book. I mean, one of them was just to engage in the empathy and just ask mm. the question. You shared at the beginning the yeah. story about when your car of teenagers got pulled over, everyone yeah. else is Caucasian, and you're yeah. the only one who's questioned, given a ticket for yeah. um, for. Uh, curfew, right? Yep. You weren't wanting your white friends to go beat up the no, cop. You're no. wanting them just to say, "I'm sorry." Yeah, that sucks. say, "Man, that's not, that's not right." And I yeah. think for me that was really relieving. Like, yeah. oh, so I can make a difference just by simply entering into a conversation oh. and saying, "What's it?" And, and we talked about this. I sent you the racial yeah. demographics of Green Bay. It's black is two percent, and yeah. uh, Native American and Hmong and mm-hmm. Hispanics uh, greater. But even just to say to someone. Yeah. What is it like to be Hispanic in Green Bay? And then That's sit it. back and listen. Yeah. And you know, and thanks, I think Pastor. I really for, appreciated that. Thanks for reminding me of the point I made earlier. That's that suffering well piece. That's that suffering well. So I feel, for, you know, I, 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 I feel like you've suffered with me when you, when you ask that. You know, very good. Yeah. So I was dismayed when you said that you felt you had to present yourself in a different way. <laughs> Because to me, that yeah. sounds like you've already disrespected your audience, that you would disrespect me, and you're making an assumption that I would not uh, accept you if you were to be more yeah. your real black self yeah. <laughs> instead of what you think I want you to be. So yeah. what? Well, so I guess I would ask yeah. you, Aaron, so what are you doing to help bridge the gap between you and me? Because you've already started with an assumption that I have an assumption about you. So there's already dishonesty, and a you've put me now in a different place, and you don't know anything about me. Yeah. So, do you well, know what I'm saying? Sure. Okay. Let, let, and, and let me. Yeah, you, you, you got a lot there. So first of all, let me say this: if I disrespected you, that was not my intention, and that was not what I meant to communicate. And I am sorry for that. Um, 
I think the point that I was making is, um, and maybe it's and maybe it's not about you, but it's 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 what I've learned to do, not because I've wanted to, because I've had people respond to me and say, you know, why are you talking like a thug? Now I don't know what I don't know what everyone thinks, but I know that. For me, it has been safer. Um, part of it is, part of it is is learning to the way that communicate. And I think all people do this. Like, if if you have a group of women that you meet with that you're really close to, you probably talk with them in ways um, that you may not talk with a larger group. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah, and that's really what what I what I'm talking about. Um, part of that is, you're right, there are some assumptions made, but part of it is, is I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable. And you may say, well, that wouldn't make me feel uncomfortable, but, but some it would. And, or some, it would be uncomfortable because they, they wouldn't understand what I'm saying. Right? So, so that's, it's, it's not a thing, it's, it, it wasn't a judgment thing. It's not, it's not a thing where I'm saying, you know, well, I know these white people ain't going to get it, so let me. No, 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 that's, that's not it. It's just communicating in a way that I think that, that hopefully will not make you feel uncomfortable because some people would. Does that make sense? Yeah, so let me, ask, so yeah. let me ask you this. Since, 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 since this is personal, how would, you, how would you prefer me interact with you? As you. Whoever you are. You're, okay. you're real. But both parts self. of those are me. Both, both parts of those are me. Because I've had to live in two worlds. I've had to. They're both, they're both me. Okay. It, it seemed, and maybe I misunderstood, that what you said on the tail of that was they wouldn't get it. They wouldn't get me. They wouldn't accept if I were to talk the way I normally talk. Yeah. I have learned to, put, to be more white than black when I'm interacting with whites. And yeah. I just feel like that's not helping the cause at all. Yeah. Well, it, so, well, you, part of you know? part of this is helping because I am I'm explaining to you. I'm explaining to you to your face. Now, what would be disingenuous is if I came in here and I talked like that, and then behind your back, and I was like talking to my black friends. Yeah, I was talking to a group of white people. They didn't get it, you know, man. I don't really know what's down, you know. But no, no, no. Yeah. I'm just explaining. I'm explaining that to you. Yeah, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah. 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 But I, but I, I, I appreciate that because I, I don't, I, it, 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 I didn't mean to make it seem like you wouldn't, you wouldn't get it. Like, oh, they won't get it. They can't, or they won't accept me if I, if I put, put this out there. Um, a good, a large part of that is it would make some people uncomfortable because they may not understand, they may not understand what I'm communicating. You know, if I just, you know, if I just related because. When I'm, depending on whom, I, whom I'm with, I'm going to relate in a way that it might be uncomfortable. So, like, say, for instance, if I'm sitting at the, let's say, for instance, I'm with my, my, my boys, and you're at the table, and we're talking the way that we talk in, you know, what people may call slang, but this is how we're relating to one another. Not in just the English, but, I mean, in different phrasing, euphemisms and things like that, all cultures do. And you were sitting there. That's going to be uncomfortable. 
It would be the same way if, if you were with a group of your girlfriends and there are certain euphemisms you use with each other, and, and I'm, you know, I'm kind of, that would be uncomfortable, you know. Um, but if you explained, if you explained to me, yeah, you know, we've known each other for years. This is kind of how we talk and different things, you know. I, I would understand that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that, you know, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, thank you. My question is, when things like Ferguson or some of these other things happen, what is the reaction of the church that would be meaningful Uh, to the people group that are affected by this? That's a great question. Um, I'll give you a great example, and I don't know who this pastor is, but do you remember, um, God, it was a crazy, this was a crazy summer. It wasn't this past summer, the summer before where... um, the five police officers were shot, that wacko crazy guy, you know, the black guy down in Dallas, and he shot the five police officers, which, you know, uh, um, on NPR they had interviewed, um, it was a pastor. Well, this pastor was leading a march. He was an evangelical pastor, white pastor, who was leading a march, um, and it was not, you know, it was nonviolent. He'd got his church involved. He was involved with, with some other churches, and it was nonviolent. And they had, you know, they had, uh, I think, specific objectives. They were just trying to bring awareness. But, you know, I, I, I thought that that was awesome, you know, that he's, he had taken his church and said, you know, now, he wasn't involved in any of the craziness. He didn't say, I'm going to jump, you know, on board with Black Lives Matter. But he said, Hey, I want to. I, I want to march. I I agree. I see that there is injustice, and if I can use my platform to bring awareness to that, I want to. I think individually, um, whether as it relates to family and friends, I think sometimes when those conversations come up, where uh, maybe a family member or friend are saying things that are very bro- like a broad stroke as it relates to maybe African Americans, Hispanics, or other minorities, or poor or women. Where we, where we, uh, at the right time, we challenge that and, and maybe say things like, I don't know if that's true for, you know, like if someone says, you know, well, you know, they're all thugs. Like, I don't know if that's true for all African Americans at all times and all places. I, I just don't know if that's true. And I don't, I don't even know if I think that that's a, a large population. There's a lot of African Americans in, in the world. And, that, you know, and so that's what, in small ways where you can begin to um, challenge and cause people to think differently or at least say, you know what? Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe that's right. You know, maybe because a lot of times people haven't really thought about like, you know, they're, you know, and all of us are like this. Our stereotypes and bias just take over unless we intentionally work to, to check them. You know, um, I think, I think, I think um, another thing is if, uh, is, is finding out like if, if something, what's the, you know, trying to find out what's the core issue, you know, what, you know, like if, the, you know, if there's the protest. So what, what's the core issue? Is the core issue that, you know, um, uh, you know, there's, you know, in, 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 injustice, you know, we're, we're seeing, you know, that there's unfair hiring practices or, or whatever. I think, you know, being knowledge about those things and maybe being intentional about finding some things to read, you know, those are some things as well that make sense. I'm sorry, I feel like I was all over the place. I don't know if I, yeah, okay. Hi, I'm Jen. 
I'm you. bitter with writing than speaking, so this might be all over the road too, but um, I, I really appreciated okay. this tonight. Thank you. Uh, and I like when you were talking about the, at one point in your life, wishing you were white. Um, mm -hmm. I think I have an affinity for black people, have mm -hmm. had for a while. In college, I was in a black gospel choir and things, nice. um, but I, um, I can feel that divide as well, and it might just be part of my personality too um, that I don't tend to get as close. But um, it's, I think I liked what you said about um, the need to speak up sometimes because I don't necessarily think I was that vocal about yeah. it, yeah. and it probably wasn't until I had some experienced some difficulties in my life which made me realize the support structure that I thought I had maybe for different reasons wasn't gonna be there for me, that I could understand what it was like to be in the minority and how important it was to get support from other people to feel protected. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, I, I don't wanna assume that you like um, Christian hip hop. <laughs> I, but, I do. I, oh, and, but look, is, Andy, I love Andy. Matter of fact, Andy Minio came out with this. Oh, he's got this great new song out called Kids, man. It is. It's hot. I, I love it. Yeah, anyway, I'm sorry. So, you got me carried away. So anyway, I just got into that recently, which 10 years ago, I don't know if think I would yeah. have even liked that. But uh, it's been meaningful for me. And one song that came out recently, uh, I think it was by Show Barack. I can't uh -huh. No, It was called Maybe It Is Both. Okay. And I don't know if you've heard that one, but it, it but talks about just, it it's this whole song about this how the, it basically is communicating in music how our culture has these two shifts going on with how we react um, or how we really talk about race and all. But at the very, 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 very end of it, there's this little part where somebody's, like, it sounds like it's a white guy calling up a black guy uh -huh. saying, so I just want to know what you think about all this. Tell yeah. me what you think. And, yeah. it's, and it, you don't expect it because it comes after a long pause. And I thought artistically it was so effective for explaining what is going on yeah. and how to be different and be helpful because I maybe only have honestly a few like on a hand of mm -hmm. black people that I've known in my life mm -hmm. even though all through the years I've you know been glad to know them but um but um anyway that's just kind of why I'm glad really glad that the church had this opportunity and that cool. you were willing to do it Thanks. absolutely <laughs> and let me nice. let me say this to you let me tell you what I've learned uh, in this process with the book, and, and feel free to ask more questions. I'm, you know, I'm good. We can, we can keep doing this. I definitely want to answer your questions. But one of the things that the Lord has revealed to me is he's, you're, out, you're out there. That was one of the things, like with the books, it, it just it kept showing me. God is like, Aaron, there's people out there. There's white evangelical Christians that are out there that want to know they want to lean in and i didn't know i didn't know it like this and and so god keeps showing me aaron so you didn't know you didn't you didn't you didn't know and you you know so so even this 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 blows my mind you know Dan, you know pastor Dan's telling me you know about you know we have this many books and we need more and you know I, because god is showing he's just like you know I, i'm i'm working in the hearts of my people just trust me just you know just you know keep Keep, you know, I found this. I found out the other day this this lady on Facebook. I didn't know where she was, and I just started friending everybody because I'm never on Facebook. But every once in a while, I get on, and she said, "We have a dear white Christian book club on Facebook," and she said, "We got 80 members, and we started back in October." I had no idea. She said, "Can we add you to the group?" And I said, "Yes." And so I get on the group, and there's all this dialogue, and I'm like, "This is blowing my mind." 
And they're like in three different, three different Illinois metropolitan cities. Like one's Collinville, Granite City, Woodrow. And I'm just like, this is, in, this is insane to me. But, but God is saying, Aaron, so, so don't, you know, don't quit. Don't be discouraged. Don't, don't think that, you know, um, white Christians don't care, that they don't want to know. They do, you know. But, but, you know, help them see, give them things to do, talk to them, share, spend time, you know, in life. Because, because at the end of the day, what, 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 I, what, what, I, what I want and I feel like God desires is where, where, we, where we will know that this, is, that this is, is, is making an effect. I mean, a lot of different ways, but this is a tangible way. Is that we begin to, we're having these conversations like this where we open and honest. So then whenever the next thing happens that's racial, in the body of Christ, we good in here, right? Because now, what's your name? Cloud. Cloud. So I'm not suspicious of Cloud thinking he's a closet racist or whatever and vice versa because we've been talking. And I can think, you know what? This brother, this brother asked me, what can he do? So, so, so it's harder for the devil to crack us and separate us. Because, no, we've been, we've been having that down. We're working through things. And it's okay to push back, but we're, we're talking, you know. It's just like in a marriage relationship, you know. Sometimes you feel like if we just avoid it and don't talk about it, you know, it's better. But it's really not, you know. And so the exciting thing for me is it's like whenever that next big racial thing happens is that the church is like black and white, Christian and other, the body of Christ, ethnic diverse, to say, you know what, we're good. Because what the model is is we get together and we talk about it. That's what family does. We get together and we talk about it. I may not understand. We get together and we talk about it. And we, and we, we talk about it intentionally and we go right at it yeah, in love. Yes, sir. Hey, Aaron. Yeah. Hey. I got a two-part question. Okay. Is, is where you're from, where you grew up, is that, would, that, would you call that south? Or I know it's kind of in the middle, but would, would you say south where you know black is black and white is white? I mean, where it's oh, clear north. how they feel? Yeah, it's North City. North, north and North City. So the high concentration of African-Americans in St. Louis is North, North City and North County. Okay. Yeah. But South in, in America is what you're saying. Okay. Like and, and, South versus the North type? Well, and this, uh, all, this is why I'm asking, because I grew, I grew up in Los Angeles. So uh, I, grew up in, I grew up in the hood, you yeah. know, South Central Los Angeles. Yeah. Then I, I moved out here uh, 17 years ago, and I've been out here. And I can answer your dad's question. I don't know if it's true, but I stayed out here because I felt that it was better than when I grew up. In a Los Angeles, I was I was there for the riots, yeah, for Rodney King riots. So I, I was in all that stuff. So I thought it was better. I think I made a mistake personally because mm-hmm. I feel like I've experienced racism personally. Yeah, and 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 the, and the way that looks like is you live. That's why I was wondering, what is the South like? Is, I'm starting to say that, man. I'd rather be with people who are KKK. Oh, I got you. Yes, you know I got. I see about? where you come. Okay, oh, okay, you yeah. know where I'm coming. So, yeah. so, so, because yeah, yeah. at, at least I know where they're coming from. Yeah, I know they don't like me, and I don't, you know. Then I say, okay, and then yeah. at least I know. But up here, yes. everybody smiles in your face. Yeah, and and and, and then as a black person, you come in here thinking that, oh, I'm one of them. Yeah. They're gonna treat me good. But as soon as something, if you're falsely accused, yeah, all of a sudden you realize. I'm not living on the same rules yeah. as I thought I was. Yeah. I thought I'd be treated because of my record. I have an yeah. impeccable record. But then I'm realizing I get treated as a guilty man yeah. just because I'm a black man. Yeah. And I don't get the same benefit as my counter white male. Yeah. You, you know what I'm talking oh, absolutely. about? Yeah, And then absolutely. all of a sudden they just turn on you quick. Yeah. And so then I was thinking to myself, okay, I'm trying to be compassionate because yeah. I've been in this community for 17 years. Yeah. I'm trying, and I'm going through some personal stuff. Yeah. 
But I'm, I'm, go, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I live in this community yeah. for 17 years, and when I watch stuff in the news about black people, I'm a black brother who grew up in the hood, yeah. and even I now starting to get scared when I go to Chicago or yeah. to L.A. because I'm like, got my head on a swivel yeah. just because of what I see on the news, yeah. right? Yeah. So I can't be mad yeah. at how they react because that's all they see. They see what I see, but right. I grew up in there, so I kind of yeah. know. And so I'm thinking like, but then when something, when something falsely accuses on me, yeah. all of a sudden they can't help to treat me yeah. like what they see on TV because that's all they know. Yeah. And yeah. so I feel like I'm going through racism here in this community that I have poured into, yeah. given to, and I've been treated unjustly. Yeah. And, um, and I wish, and now I look back on it, I mean, I lost my family yeah. because of that. And if I had to do it all over again, I wish I stayed in a, yeah. in a neighborhood at least where I know I'll be treated as a black brother, you know, be respected, or in a community where I know that's the bad guy, that's the, you know, whatever. Yeah. And not this whole where they smile on your face, yeah. but then Susan Bad they don't give you the benefit of the doubt because of the, the color of your skin. You, yeah. do, do you know oh, what I'm so you know what I'm talking about. So yeah. I don't know if you. I yeah. Because so, yes. I never grew up in the South, so yeah. I so, think it'll so, be better. So so let me let me speak to that. So um, I'll say this: Yes, when when we when I was growing up in the neighborhood when we moved, yeah. Those that were in the neighborhood that I knew they did not like us. Yeah, it was it was it was easier to deal with that. I can say that um, uh, you know I, I, I work at a um, I work at a wonderful school, um, but I can say some of the in the past two years some of the the the, the most painful things not as it relates to the, my colleagues, but as you know some of the white parents. In, in, in thinking that um, uh, thinking that I am you know trying to turn the school into a liberal school um, that that I have nefarious intentions and and and, and so being being attacked and from a Christian community you know and like you said I mean, I've been here ten years and you know but 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 to have some of those judgments made. Not because of anything that they've that they like like how am I supposed to interpret that? I give you a perfect example. So we we had um, we had some kids that 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 knelt at our school and it was you know another conversation for another time. And so you know there were there were parents in our in our in our school again is a very very white conservative part. I mean this, it just is what it is. I mean there's other parts you know of our city that's you know more blue than than red or whatever. But but very very and so. There were so many parents that were super offended, wanted to, you know, pull their kids. And, and, and so I'm not an administrator. I'm just a director. A lot of their accusations came at me. They didn't even realize what they were communicating. I don't have any decision-making power. So their accusations, so some of those parents, their accusations were coming at me because I'm the black liberal person who probably voted for Obama, even though they don't know that, they think that. And so now, what are they doing to our conservative Christian school? What is he doing? And I, and I, and I addressed him. I said, I'm your brother. I said, I don't have a hidden agenda, you know. I was like, I'm pro-life, you know. <laughs> you know. But, but I felt that. I mean, those are the faithful of the wounds of friend. Oh, man, that, that's been the hardest time for me, you know. So I definitely feel you. Yeah, I definitely do. We have two more questions, okay. and then uh, you guys can stick around uh, and certainly talk some yeah. more. But. Yeah, I'll, I'll stay around. As long as Hi, Aaron. Yeah. Uh, hey. What advice would you have for families with kids? Uh, 
got my nine-month-old son, and uh, I remember having a lot of conversations in college, and yeah. they had great programs to, you know, kind of unlearn maybe yeah. uh, societal racism that mm -hmm. you had grown up with, but um, me, myself, like, I don't remember any conversations I had with my family, yeah. and what can things be done, yeah. you know, now with my kids? Yeah, great question. Um, what you can do is start off um, as, 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 as young as they're able to understand things and intentionally, intentionally have conversations. Like, you know, if, if you see something or, you know, whether it's on the news and, 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 and talk through that with them. You don't have to show them these, but you can talk to them. You ask them, you know, do you know, you know what's going on with this? Because, and, and then, too, if they see that it's important to you, you know, you know, like, you know, if, if they, like my kids, man, I mean, you know, like, it's not like I sat down and just, you know, but, but my kids knew that, you know, defending the rights of the poor and needy, you know, being a voice for the voiceless, you know, um, looking for marginalized people, not just black, but Hispanic and women and d disabled people, you know. So my kids have just picked that up because we, we've, we've always had conversations like that. You know, I told them, I said, I don't want you to be in all black school. I don't want you to be in all white school. I would love for you to be a school that's fully integrated and you got everything in there. It looks like the UN. As you know, I wish it was like, like heaven, right? Revelation 7, 9. So I, but I think if you are having those conversations, because those things will come up, but if you can have the conversation and say, hey, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, are the kids talking about this? This was going on, and you know, we, we believe that all life is valuable. You know, whether it's a black person, whether it's bright, you know, and we, and, and particularly when you can point out where there, there, there may be disadvantage for our people group, and explaining some things like they may, they may come up with stereotypes. They may think that you know, well, you know, they just don't work hard, and you're able to say, well, I think there's more to it than that. I don't think that you know, everyone who is who, who, you know, who lives in South Central, you know, L.A., I don't think everyone there is a thug or a criminal and doesn't want to work hard. I mean, those conversations, if you can regularly have them, they will see your heart, and what's important to you will be important to them. Well, I had a book of <laughs> thoughts from this, from reading your book, and I just, okay. I guess I'll start with a quick affirmation. Um, you know, you're saying that you felt like the Lord led you to write this book mm -hmm. and I would say this book is hitting at a very good time you know like it's just it spoke to me that way in a way that you know guided by the spirit that I have not had reading a book in a while mm, thank you. Um, and because you know what you're seeing I think there is some sort of reformation revolution yeah. something going on yes it is especially through the church where you know praise God it should be because if any group of people can come together um it should be the church. Like, we should be the last group that should be divided. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm, <clears throat> now I'm trying to figure out which question I was going to go with yeah. on this. But your book, it was great as you read through it. I'm not a book critic. But as I had questions, mm -hmm. it's an easy digestible book and to read, but they kind of answered themselves. Mm. And a lot of questions I kind of had were already kind of hinted at tonight. Um, and so I guess... Where, where I'm going to go is um, the gentleman up front asked the question kind of about Officer Wilson and Michael Brown and, and guilty or not. And I think what hit me the, the most that I want to mention here and ask about is pointing out that the dominant culture is just white culture. Mm. Mm, and, not, and, I, and that was like a light bulb for me. And never realizing yeah. 
what is white culture? Mm -hmm. Like, can we even put our, our finger on it? What is it? Yeah. Um, because if we, and it's, and it's scary because, you know, as, as your friend, um, was a Scott in the book, mm -hmm. and was asked, like, what do we do? We're afraid to almost ask, like, yeah. what do we say? What do we do? Yeah. Because, okay, if there is a white culture, is there a white entertainment network? But you ask that question, and all of a sudden you're a racist. Mm -hmm. you know, and then so many people use that also as a way to dismiss the idea yeah. of a black entertainment network. Yeah. And so it's, it's two things. So what, I guess, <clears throat> recognizing our culture and looking at the idea of how do you recognize that? Mm -hmm. and, because the differences are going to be key, and they, we can't get rid of them. Yeah. How do you deal with the differences? And I think if we talked about what white culture maybe was yeah. and could it, you know, see that and embrace it and get down to the idea of what should the dominant national culture be? You know, yeah. this country was founded on ideals that were not realized for minorities, for the black people yeah. of slavery. Like, if we're right, every man are created equal, and then yet we have three-fifths of people working yeah. in the field that aren't people. Yeah. You know, we we found on ideals that were not carried out. Yeah. So how do we get? What should the? I guess what should the dominant, yeah. the national culture kind of be? Exactly. And how do we talk about realizing that if there is a white culture, yeah. how can you say that without the false accusation of racism? Because it yeah. seems like since the last election, which may have yeah. been after your book was yeah. in publishing, yeah. that claim is like the mob has taken over the other way with that yeah. almost on. Yeah. I can be afraid to say anything because I'm going to get labeled a racist, much like. Um, you and this gentleman over here have to worry about yeah. false accusations yeah. also. I'll, I'll, I'll answer the, the latter uh, first. I, I think the simplest way, the way to say it without being labeled racist is to just state it like this, that all ethnic groups have culture. That way you're grouping them all and they all, they all do. Um, um, and, uh, and then also, like, uh, in, in every society there is a dominant group. It doesn't have to be race. It could be tribal, you know. Um, our friend Macklin, you remember Macklin, that he was from Togo, he was a, one of our seminary students, and he said, it's, he, said he said, in our country, it's not color, we all the same color. He said, it's tribal, you know, so whatever group holds the power. So that's, I would say that's the way to say it. So, you know, all groups have, 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 have uh, all groups, all ethnic groups have, have culture and different things that make their culture distinct. The, 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 uh, the, the other question, the first question, what can the dominant culture to, do? Um, I think if the dominant culture r realizes that there's these subdominant groups, that their perspective, um, that, the that the dominant culture is going to have blind spots. So if, 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 if they want to know if they can not only talk to, listen to the subdominant groups and um, allow leadership and whatever power structure they have, allow leadership from those subdominant groups, that changes everything. Like even, you know, Pastor Dan and I are talking about church plans. Like that changes the game. If you want, you know, hearing from whatever the subdominant groups are and getting leadership, that changes the game. Because then, then you begin to get these things from different perspectives that are coming out of, you know, uh, the vantage point that is super helpful. Because it's just blind spots and we all have them. Great. Thank you. Lots of good yeah. stuff. Um, I do have a few things before we, before we end in prayer. Uh, first off, Tim, is it okay if I share what you shared with us at the elders retreat about T-ball? <laughs> Just briefly. So I'm a little bit ignorant. I don't think that there's blatant racism in Green Bay. And boy, was I uh, 
corrected on that. So Tim uh, coached a t-ball team, and there was one black child on there and just received tons of racial, racially, was it text messages or something that was text, Facebook, just racial slurs. And I was shocked by that. The other that I heard, and I don't have permission to share it, so I'm going to share it as anonymously as possible. Um, but Ron Young asked us, he said, how many times have you been pulled over in Green Bay in the past how many years, Tim? Did he say like a few years, past two years? And we all said none, right? And he, he said he knows a gentleman, and I'm trying to be, who's African-American, who in the past two years has been pulled over seven times. Um, if we're doing nothing wrong. And so it does exist here. It does. And if you're asking, um, what can I do? Uh, You're doing it right now (laughs) by showing up, uh, by having conversations, by entering into conversations, by asking the question, what is it like to be black in Green Bay? What is it like to be Mexican in Green Bay? What is it like to be Hmong in Green Bay? What is it like to be Native American in Green Bay? And so um, you may be accused of racism for asking those questions. Here's the thing. You will never make an error if you don't get in the game. But if you, it's much better than sitting in the stands, right? Get in the game. You're going to make errors. People are going to accuse you of stuff. You'll have to have the conversation. Much better than sitting in the stands. Does that make sense? And I think what was so helpful that you said, I loved you said, I didn't know how to interpret the silence. And I think for me that's really helpful of, you know, if Ferguson happened, you walked in, you know what it is? It's awkward. It's awkward because I don't know what to say. And so to break the awkwardness and enter into conversation, um, which was my biggest takeaway from your book, was to enter into the conversation no matter how awkward it is um, so that you can enter into their suffering and be incarnational. So I issued, I issued, a, uh, uh, I issued a challenge at the beginning of the year. I called it the, D, the 2018 DWC Challenge where I went, I went on Instagram and I, and I said, basically said, okay, you know, if, if you're a white Christian, buy this book and find a black Christian to read it with. If you're a black Christian, find a white Christian and read it with. So if you've read it, um, pray and ask the Lord to show you someone to talk to about it. And he will because he wants this conversation to happen. Uh, final thing I would say, so this isn't come from Aaron. I agree. Uh, the book is really good if you have not read it. Um, you know, Aaron sharing a scattering of experiences. The book is very synthesized and very focused and very helpful. And so we do have seven books. Uh, they're $10 each, and, uh, but we will order more if those sell out. I thought I ordered more books, and it didn't happen. So one last thing, and then we'll close in prayer. Um, this is for Pastor Dan. Um, my hope is that this is not the end of the conversation for your church that um, this is becomes a, a series and that we now begin to strategize on how to have these conversations with each other and then branch out to the broader community. America is really good about a one-hit wonder, right? One conversation, okay, we've talked about it, now it's done. But really a challenge to say, let's be strategic and intentional about this conversation so that we can impact Green Bay. Okay, good. So... And I'd love to talk more about your ideas. Yes, come here. Go ahead. Go ahead. Just say, just speak loud.
Yep, absolutely. And the one person that will react, the one person that will react negatively out of the hundred, Satan's going to bring to mind so it shuts you down. It's the same with evangelism. When we did our evangelism studies, 99% of the people responded very positively to having spiritual conversations, but one out of a hundred didn't. And we take that one and we let Satan shut us down. Uh, and so thank you very much. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord God, thank you so much for this conversation. As my friend said, may the conversation continue um, with friends, uh, wherever they are, God, on these conversations. And Lord, I pray even conversations would happen between white Christians and white Christians about what black Christians might be experiencing. But Lord, help us to engage uh, those that are not in the, ma- the majority, um, what it's like and to enter in and to be incarnational into their world, uh, just as you are incarnational into our world. And uh, Lord, we pray that you'd help us do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Aaron will be around. Feel free to stay around and ask him questions. Thank you all.